0: if we can just refocus ourselves with a quick prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit amen glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit amen all right welcome back um we, we spent the morning kind of focused on the, the history of the term domestic church and kind of the, the modern theological development six, since uh, the Second Vatican Council uh, of the term domestic church, and uh, had some interesting conversations um, over lunch uh, around the issue. So um, I guess uh, if nothing else, if we can spark interesting conversations around something, then we're, we're doing something right. So, um... Uh, someone uh, mentioned to me the uh, the idea of talking about how you know we all this idea of, of domestic church being rooted fundamentally in our baptismal call right and we all have Christ within us if we 're part of his body of Christ, if, if we have made ourselves homes of Christ, wherever we are then becomes a, a home, uh, a domestic church, a home of the Lord, um, and this idea that domus latin for for a home. It means home. It doesn't mean family, per se, but it means home. Um, and of course, we all have homes that we live in. Um, but then someone brought up the idea, well, what about those who don't have homes? What about the homeless? You know, in all of the different ways that we talk about you know, affecting ministry to the homeless, you know, maybe that should, can, can give us a little bit more, like a different approach, another way of, of aspect of thinking about it. Like, uh, how do we respect their dignity, especially if we're dealing with Christian homeless of, you know, how do they experience the domestic church, right? They don't have a domeless so, I don't know, it's creative ideas um, around that, so I'm glad that we're thinking about these issues, but uh, right now in the, this final little session after lunch, I want to talk about some practical ideas of, okay, given this theology, given this background, given this way of thinking about our, our home lives as little churches, how do we put that into practice, and I think it's important to point out right up front, that when we talk about our homes as little churches or domestic churches, what we're talking about is not primarily a matter of architecture or furnishings or decor. What we're talking about is primarily a matter of the inhabitants, of the people that live there, right? When we spoke about the meaning of the word church, that Germanic word, as being the house of the Lord, what makes the church the Lord's house isn't the architecture, right? It's the fact that the Lord lives there. So the same thing is true of the domestic church. What makes our homes little churches is the fact that the Lord lives there. And if he lives there at all, it's because he lives there in us. And it's not because we happen to have a Bible on the shelf or a picture of the Sacred Heart hanging on the wall, right? Those things are great, but if He's not living in us, He's not living there. Now that being said, these external realities are important. Um, you know, I could take a tabernacle with the Eucharist in it, and I could put it in one of those monthly rental storage units, and I could call it a church, right? It would be the Lord's house, right, because the Lord is there. He's present in the sacrament. So I could call it a church, but would it be fitting? Right? It wouldn't be, we, we know the answer is no. It wouldn't be a fitting dwelling place for the Lord. Because it wouldn't be a fitting dwelling place for us either. Right? We naturally want to make our churches beautiful places. Because of the dignity of what they are. They are dwelling places of the Lord. And so we want to give them a fitting appearance. And that's partly because we know that it's fitting to honor our Lord in this way. right? As we say in the Mass, it is right and just. But it's also because it helps us to remain mindful of the Lord's presence. So if you imagine if if we did that, if we had a tabernacle just sitting in like an empty warehouse unit, or maybe it's got a couple of storage boxes stacked up against the wall, some old furniture or whatever, right? What would we conclude about that? We would conclude that whatever was in that tabernacle must not be very special. It must not be very important, right? It would be really easy for us to lose sight of the fact that God was there. So instead, we decorate our churches, and we make our churches beautiful places, not just to make them attractive, but to make them sacred. We fill them with art that is designed to call to mind God and heaven and the saints and salvation history. Right, And that goes beyond just the visual. We expect our churches to be filled with beautiful music, that it's meant to elevate our prayers. We expect our churches to have a certain smell, about them, you know, that hits us when we walk in, right? The smell of incense or burning candles and sacred oils, right? It's a different smell than we smell other places in the world. Uh, And all of these things that um, remind us, reach us through our senses, they remind us of where we are and whose presence we are in. So if that's important in our churches, I maintain that that should also be important in our homes, Now, it's true, we don't live in churches, right? And unlike our churches, our homes are not dedicated spaces that are reserved exclusively for worship, right? We have to live in our homes. That's where we go to bed. That's where we take showers. That's where we wash the dishes. That's where, you know, the dog sheds fur everywhere, right? (laughs) Our homes are, it's good for our homes to look lived in because we do live there. But they are supposed to be little churches, Right? And if they are to be Christian homes, that means that they're dwelling places of Christ. Because those of us who live in those homes are members of Christ's body. Right? And unlike our, our workplaces, our offices, right, or where we go to school, the classrooms, or where we do our shopping, or other places that we dwell in the world, for the most part, we have a fair amount of control over the environment of our homes. Right? Uh, at least more than we do in some of these other places. To, to a great extent, we control how we furnish our homes. We control what goes up on the walls, what books we put on the shelves, what gets played on the TV, right? Um, all those sorts of things, right? So are we, when we make the decisions of, of what we want to bring in to our home environment, and I'm not just talking about furnishings and decoration, but, but media, right? The media that we consume. Um, when we think about what we want to bring into our home environment, right, do we bring in things that are conducive to holiness? Right? Does the environment that we create in our homes remind us that we are Christian and our home is meant to be a little church, and so I'm just going to offer a few suggestions as to how we can augment our home environment to help us to stay mindful of, of these things and of our Christian vocation. Um, and like I said, if we, have, if we have time, if I don't talk for too long, which I want to do, uh, you know, we'll see if there's other suggestions from the group. But one very uh, obvious and easy way um, is to decorate your home with religious art. Um, there's a very, very old tradition in the church of creating a home altar. And uh, I'm a Catholic convert, so I didn't grow up in a Catholic home. And so a lot of Catholic culture um, I've had to learn on the fly. Uh, and that's one thing about going through an RCIA program. You learn a lot about like, the theology and a lot about the you know, maybe the rituals of the Catholic church. But there's a lot of cultural stuff that sometimes Catholics take for granted. And then when you're a convert, you first hear someone talk about it or read about it. and You think, whoa, what's that? So when I first started reading about home altars. I was thinking, they have the altar in their home, and like, is this for offering mass or you know, it's not an altar in that in that sense, right? But we call them home altars because it's a place that's set aside in your home to be a focal point for our prayer, right? And it doesn't have to be a whole room. For goodness knows, you know, with six kids in my house, we can't afford to dedicate a whole room to you know, a, uh, for prayer. But maybe it's like an end table in, in one of your rooms, right? Or even just a shelf on the wall. Um, in the east, they have a similar tradition of an icon corner, where they'll put an icon literally in the corner you know, of a room. It's a similar idea. Um, so on your home altar, you might have an image or two of our Lord or our Lady. Um, maybe you, you have a statue there. Um, and you typically have a couple of candles, maybe a few prayer cards, you know. And, and like the altars in our church you do what you can to make them visually appealing, right? You maybe put a pretty cloth down underneath of it, right? Or put some fresh-cut flowers, you know, in a vase. But the idea is that this would be a place that you could either come to on your own um, or gather around with your family as a focal point for when you're praying. Um, So maybe you want to have, like, a Bible nearby or a prayer book nearby that, you know, you'd want to use for that time of prayer. And then even in times when you're not in prayer, whenever you pass by your home altar, you're reminded of your vocation, and you're reminded in, uh, you know, of your, your call to live the life of a disciple, and your heart and your mind is, is maybe lifted up to God in that moment, uh, and so it helps to make your home more of a place of continual prayer throughout the day, even when you're not praying, um, you know, in an intentional manner, and it's it's possible to create a home altar like that, even with very, very limited means. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, a single picture of Jesus, a candle from the dollar store, and some fresh-cut wildflowers um, in a mason jar. You know, that's all you need. And, and that can make a very attractive little, little home altar and a very modest one that anybody could, could do. Or you can go the other route, like me and go crazy buying icons and putting them up all over <laughs> all over your house, you know. There's a picture I've seen on the internet, and it's, um, uh, it's got all these Eastern icons, and it's all over this poor person's desk and covering his computer and on the shelves above the desk and all that. And the caption just says, do you have too many desktop icons? <laughs> so, I, I love icons, and... Um, you know, it's become my favorite way to decorate my house. So if you go to come to my house, you'll see them in, in almost every room of my house. Not the bathrooms, I haven't gotten them into the bathrooms yet, right? But in almost every room of my house, there's at least one or two icons. And the, the room that has the most icons in it is the kitchen. Why would I put all of that sacred art in the kitchen? That's where my family spends most of their time, is, is in the kitchen. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't look at a, a sacred icon and think, yeah, that's kitchen art. You know, people want to hang pictures of herbs and stuff, you know. But, but no, we have, we have sacred art in the kitchen because that's, that's where we spend the most time. The kitchen is the heart of the home. And so, you know, in our kitchen, we have icons. Um, we have a crucifix. There's a little lady of our, statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe on the windowsill above our sink. Um, there's framed prints I've put with some prayers in them uh, because those are the walls that my family looks at all day long. Right? We homeschool our kids, so they're, they spend a lot of their time in that home. And they look at those walls, primarily in the kitchen and the dining room. And when they look at those walls, and when I look at those walls, you know, I want my family to see something that's inspiring and holy, not something kind of meaningless. That's one of the things that I don't like about being in a hotel. I like hotels. I like the fact that someone cleans up after me, and you know, I don't have to, you know, do all that stuff. But I don't like the art in hotels because it means nothing, and not just doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to anyone. They pick the most generic, kind of bland, whatever scenes, and yeah, they have to do that because it's a hotel and you know, it's not personal. But when you go into someone's home and you look at the art on the walls. You can kind of tell something about that person. You're like, oh, you chose this. This picture means something to you. This, this work of art is special to you. You like it. You know? And so, so in my home, you see a lot of religious art, right? And, uh, and like I said, in little, little quotes, little prayers, that sort of thing. Um, look for religious art that has meaning to you and to your family. So if you can find icons or statues of your patron saints, your kids' patron saints, right? Um, When my kids are confirmed, one of the things we always make sure they get is some kind of an image, either an icon or a statue or something, some kind of an image of their confirmation saint that they can hang in their bedrooms so that they can use that as a focal point for their prayer and start to develop an actual relationship with their patron saint. I can't tell you how many students I get in college, and then we'll have a conversation about patron saints, and, oh yeah, I picked Nicholas because my grandpa's name was Nicholas. Well, that's great for your grandpa. <laughs> what do you know about St. Nicholas? Have you developed a relationship with, with St. Nicholas? You know. Um, so make the religious art not just religious, but, but personally meaningful to you. Um, one of the things that, that we've done in our home is we've looked for religious art specifically chosen to remind us of the holiness of family life. So one of the icons I took from our kitchen to bring to you is this icon of the holy family. And we, I got this specifically to remind us of the holiness of family life. And also because our wedding anniversary is December 30th, which is the feast of the holy family. So when I look at this, I'm reminded of, you know, that nexus of our own family life of the, the marriage uh, the marital vocation that my wife and I share so I have an icon of the holy family um, next to it on the wall I have an icon of, of Christ the bridegroom right? Um, and then on the other side of it I have an icon of the wedding of Joachim and Anne and it's beautiful because it's these two figures standing in front of the temple and they're kissing they're smooching you know, and it's the Immaculate Conception right there, and it's it's beautiful. So I have this not just religious art, but religious art specifically to call to mind the the holiness of the the family life, right? The holiness of family life that we share. Um, and of course, I also have not just religious art in my kitchen. I don't want you to think that if you go to my house it's like this religious museum. There's pictures of my kids, there's pictures of my wife, there's pictures of our parents, right? Why do we put pictures of our family members in our home? Not a high-minded theological reason. I like looking at my family. (laughs) It brings us joy to look at people that we love. So why not pictures of the saints? Why not pictures of our Lord? And so in my home, you see those kind of intermixed. But next to to this collection of pictures of my wife and our kids together, I found uh, on Etsy a little print um, of uh, a quote from St. Therese of Lisieux that says, the loveliest masterpiece of the heart of God is the heart of a mother. And so I have this quote from St. Therese there with pictures of my wife surrounded by her children. And it reminds not just her and me, but the kids as well, of the beauty of the vocation of motherhood, you know, that she lives out. And there are some days that she, she needs that reminder <laughs> that it's a beautiful vocation, you know, uh, when she's washing dishes for the fourth time that day or, or whatever. Um, and the good news is with print-on-demand right now, there are all kinds of websites where you can upload a picture, right, of, um, uh, and, and get a pretty good quality canvas print made, and they're incredibly inexpensive now. They're very affordable, um, and so, you know, spend some time on Google looking up religious art around your favorite subject. It's fun, you know, you can, you can spend a, a, a fun evening on Google looking up religious art, and most of it, if it's historical art, it's gonna be copyright free, so you can upload it to one of those print-on-demand websites, and create some really beautiful pieces for your home uh, to display. So, um, you don't need to follow my route and decorate every single room of your house with religious art, but, you know, but think about what are the rooms in your house that you do spend the most time in. And those are the rooms that you want to sanctify with reminders of God's presence, right? So maybe that's your living room. Maybe that's your kitchen. Maybe that's your bedroom. Think about where you spend time during the day. And think about where you pray. That's the other thing that I want to recommend to you. Find some spot in your home that you can dedicate to prayer. It doesn't have to be a whole room, because again, most of us can't afford to have a whole room in our house dedicated just for that purpose. But maybe it's a corner of a room, or maybe it's just a chair. For me, it's just a chair, right? But the only thing I do in that chair is is I pray. We're creatures of habit, and we like routine. And not just mentally, but our bodies like routine, our bodies like habit. And I find when I'm, when I'm talking with people that are struggling in their daily prayer life, nine times out of ten, one of the reasons why they're struggling is they haven't made a routine of it. They try and pray intermittently. They try and pray kind of when they feel like it. And then they struggle, and they struggle, and they give up because they don't see themselves making any kind of progress. You need to make prayer part of your daily routine And that means praying at the same time every day as much as possible. That also means the same place. It's amazing how much having a dedicated place, again, even if it's just a chair, can help. And and once you get into that habit, you, you sit in your chair, and it's like your body just automatically knows what's going on. It's like, okay, we're in our chair. We're we're going into prayer mode. We we know what's going on here. And you just you just slip into that prayer mode so much faster than you would otherwise. It really makes a difference to just have that routine of space, that dedicated space. So think again, think about your house and think about where where can my prayer spot be? For some people it might be your bed. I don't really recommend praying, laying down. <laughs> you know. That's a, that's a good way of practicing what they call napsio divina, you know. You <laughs> I had a student one time tell me that they felt guilty because they prayed their rosary in bed going to sleep, and they're like, but if I don't finish my rosary, sometimes I fall asleep before I finish my rosary, and I feel guilty because I haven't finished my rosary. And I said, what are you feeling guilty about? I'm like, you just, to fall asleep telling the Lord how much you love him and his mother, I can't think of a better way to fall asleep than that. I'm like, yeah, so fall asleep praying the rosary, that's, that's fine. He thought he was doing something wrong by not finishing the rosary. But um, Anyway, but think about your house and think about where a good prayer spot would be. And then do what you can to make it conducive to prayer. So for me, that means I have an icon of Christ. I have a, a beautiful one. It's just his face. And I, I have that near my prayer chair to give me a visual reminder of who I'm talking to when I pray. Because I need that visual reminder. Right? I, I need something to focus my eyes on. Otherwise I get distracted. So for me I got, I've got Jesus' face right there. And he's looking at me. And I, and I went through a lot. Was, it's was fun shopping online. I went through a lot of pictures of Jesus. And I was looking for that one picture of Jesus. Where it looked like he was really looking back at me. With, with compassionate eyes. Because that's what I needed in my prayer corner. So I have this beautiful icon of Jesus' face looking at me, and that's what I focus on, because it tells me who I'm talking to. Um, so I have that. Um, I, have, um, I have my breviary close by. I have my daily missile close by. I have a study Bible. I have a notebook. I have a pen. I have a rosary. I've got a little collection of prayer cards, right? Now, I don't use those things every single time that I pray, but the reason why I have them there is because as I'm praying, if I need them, I don't have to get up and go find them, right? I know that these are things that I do use from time to time in my prayer, and I want them to be right there so I can reach over and grab them, right? Sometimes it'll happen. That's why I have a study Bible there, because sometimes I'll be doing some Lectio Divina, and I'll, I'll fixate on one little line that I just don't get. I'm like, what is Jesus talking about there, right? Or maybe it's some kind of cultural reference I just don't get. And it's like a roadblock in my prayer, because my brain now is fixated on that, and I've got to know what that is. All right, well, I'll grab my study Bible, I'll look it up in the footnote, I'm like, oh, that's what's going on. Okay, I can close the book, go right back into prayer, and I don't have to worry about fixating on that little thing. So that's just something that I've learned is handy for, for me, right? But the point is, all of these things, I kind of have there, right, a pen and a notebook. So if I want to make note of something, I don't have to get up and go find it. It's just right there, ready, and I don't have to interrupt my prayer when I need to, to access those things. Um, I have other things that help kind of get my body into prayer mode. I've got a little candle that I light. Um, I have, uh, I've started doing this probably this past year. I've, I have a little small personal incense burner. Um, I've started, uh, if I know I have the time to dedicate to it, burning a little bit of incense when I do my morning prayers. And not the kind of incense that you get at the dollar store, not the, the hippie sticks, you know. <laughs> but like actual church incense. Um, you can buy that. You don't need like a parish account to buy church incense. You can go online as a private person and you can buy. And they even sell little um, personal uh, charcoals for burning the incense. It only lasts like 20 minutes or so. They look like rollos. You know, you can just, <laughs> they look like little packs of rollos. And so I have a little small incense burner and I have this little small charcoal and then. I like to order my incense from places that supply um, uh, Eastern Orthodox churches because they have more scents than we do. (laughs) So I'll get like a variety pack. (laughs) And I get these little tiny little baggies full of, you know, all this little incense. And so I go through, I'm like, ooh, what do I want to use today? But, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before about having the, uh, you know, our homes having the scent of the sanctuary. Well, you can take that literally because they're, You know, we're sensory creatures, and so the smell of incense helps me to elevate my heart and my mind in prayer. And and so I use it, and uh, and it's kind of nice because it lingers then, too, in the home. So as I pass by that room in the house, I smell church, you know. And my kids even notice it. They're like, our house smells like church, you know. Yeah, yeah, it does. So remember who you are and whose you are, you know. Um, And then basic stuff. I have a throw blanket in case I get chilly, right? I got a coaster to sit my coffee on, because that's an essential part of morning prayer is coffee, right? I have a box of tissue in case I get a runny nose, right? So all of this is just very practical stuff, and it's stuff that I've kind of figured out over a, you know, a long time of having this little corner as my prayer with my prayer chair, my prayer corner. Like, I didn't sit down and, like, create a strategy, (laughs) but I've accrued all of this over time as I've kind of learned what I need that's going to help me in prayer. So think about these things. Think about these practical things. What would you need to make your prayer spot practical and meaningful for you? And is it going to be just for you, or is it going to be something that your family shares? Because I learned that my little prayer spot is not for family prayer. Because the room that it's in is not big enough for the family. There's not enough chairs for the family. When my family prays together, we do it in the living room. Which is not normally a room that I think of for prayer. But that's where my family fits. So we do it in the living room. So I make sure that there's, you know, um, I have uh, religious art in the living room as well. I get very distracted very easily when I'm trying to pray. I know this is not just me, right? So I'm very strategic about it. So I have my spot on the couch that I sit when I do the rosary with the kids. And I'm looking over here. And so I started to get really distracted praying the rosary with the kids. So I bought, actually from this little gift shop down here, beautiful statue of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and now she sits right there. <laughs> and I put her there because that's where I'm facing when I'm praying the rosary with the kids. So I put there's religious art in, in my house in very strategic places because that's where my eyes go and I wanna have something there that's gonna help me refocus myself on my prayer when I get distracted. So be strategic about it. Um, Holy water. We have holy water fonts in our home. Do you guys have holy water fonts in your home? By your door, right? I have one next to my prayer chair, but I also have one near the main entrance for the house, which the main entrance in my house is not the front door. Again, it's the kitchen door. That's the one everybody uses. So that's where we have our holy water font, right? So as Catholics, we're in the habit of blessing ourselves with holy water anytime we enter and leave a church. Well, why not the domestic church, right? You know how much holy water costs? Nothing! Nothing. They, they literally give it away in your parishes. They give it away, and you don't even need to spend the dollar to get that little bottle that says holy water on it. You can bring in a mason jar, you can bring in... Um, we were, uh, this was on a college campus, uh, one day over the summer I had a young woman just kind of appear out of nowhere knocking on the door, and she was looking for holy water. I'm like, all right. I said, do you have something to put it in? No. I'm like, okay. So I went through the kitchen, and I found some Tupperware, and I said, I'll give you this. I'll put some holy water in it, right? You can put holy water in anything. Don't put it in a water bottle unless you mark it special. You don't want to accidentally drink it, although it wouldn't hurt if you did. Um, But, you know, take advantage of that. Bring some holy water home and use it uh, and those of you that have kids, kids love it, especially toddlers. Oh, my goodness gracious. If you've ever been blessed by a two year old, you've, you've never been blessed. So, our little kid, our, our youngest one, Jasper, um, when he was about two years old, he discovered that his favorite thing to do, we'd have to lift him up, and he'd dip his hand in the holy water font, and then he would make the sign of the cross on our forehead. And he had to do mom, and he had to do me, and he had to do all of his older brothers and sisters. And uh, you, you haven't been blessed until you've been blessed by a two-year-old. But kids love this stuff. It's tactile, you know. And it's a real blessing. It's a really powerful sacramental. Use it in your home. Um, and speaking about blessings, are your homes blessed? They're domestic churches. Invite your priest, invite your deacon over to bless your home. At least once a year, if you can. Right? Right? Feed them dinner. Make it a social thing. Celebrate. Celebrate the occasion with your family. Um, Turn it into a a social uh, occasion. right? There's also a special home blessing that you can do at Epiphany every year that any head of house can do. You don't have to be an ordained member of the clergy to do the Epiphany home blessing. right? You get some blessed chalk. A lot of times they'll have this available at your church. And you can do the Epiphany home blessing with a blessed chalk at your home. You can do these things. There are blessings that lay people can do. Um, I, uh, I forgot to bring it. I meant to bring it for a little show and tell, but there's a, uh, a book that the USCCB has published called the household book of Catholic, the Catholic household blessings and prayers. It's what it's called. Catholic household blessings and prayers. And it's a collection of, of seasonal prayers, prayers for special occasions, and also blessings that lay people can do. Lay people can bless as well in certain occasions, Blessing is about um, uh, spiritual authority. So, um, ordained uh, members of the clergy have a, a, a greater, a more universal spiritual authority, but we have spiritual authority over ourselves. That's why it is we can bless ourselves. Parents have spiritual authority over their children, spouses have spiritual authority over one another, right? You guys, bless your kids, bless your family members. Bless yourself. Don't be afraid. So, this Catholic Household Blessings and Prayers book has some very beautiful blessings in it. When it's your kid's birthday, give them a birthday blessing, right? Um, you know, bless them before they leave for school. Just bless, bless. We ought to be a blessing and we ought to bless. Um, oh, the other thing I want to talk about was the liturgical year. And uh, this is one of my last points. This is another way that we can help our homes to be domestic churches isn't just to sanctify the space, but to sanctify the time. Um, Most of us probably do a pretty good job of, um, you know, celebrating the special seasons of the year like Christmas and Easter. But when we do those things, let's be very intentional about the fact that we are celebrating religious holidays, right? Not celebrating the secular thing that they celebrate in Walmart, right? That we are celebrating religious holidays when we celebrate Christmas and Easter. Don't just light the Advent candles at Advent. Say the prayers that accompany the lighting of those candles. If you have children, involve them in some of the scripture readings, right? Um, oh man, my kids fight over who gets to light that candle. They phew, just lighten that little lighter. They love that thing. Um, when we put up our Christmas tree as a family, when we decorate our tree, we gather around it once it's decorated, and then there's a special Christmas tree blessing that's in that Household Blessings and Prayers book. So we all together say that prayer around our Christmas tree. These things help to keep your family mindful of the fact that you're not just putting up seasonal decoration, right? You're celebrating a Christian holiday. And then what about other times during the year, right? The church's calendar is full of memorials and feasts. And you know. And I understand unless you, you pray the Liturgy of the Hours or you go to daily Mass, a lot of those memorials and feasts probably don't really have a lot of meaning um, for the average you know, Catholic. But there are ways to stay mindful of this sacred time. Um, one thing you can do is you can pray the Liturgy of the Hours. You don't need to be... Um, you know, in religious life or clergy to pray the, I mean, we prayed it this morning. We started off with daytime prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours. Um, you know, even if you don't have the Liturgy of the Hours book, there are apps, you know, now. You can get it for free. Um, pray nighttime prayer with your kids before tucking them into bed. Night prayer is not very long, right? Um, and that will help get you into the cycle of these saints' feast days, um, when they do come around, use these saints' feast days as an opportunity to learn about that saint. Right, go online, look up a little bio of their life. Um, again, pick saints that have meaning for you. So, if your kids have a confirmation saint, make sure they know when that confirmation saint's feast day is. You know, when my kids come down from, um, you know, from upstairs in the morning, if it's their confirmation feast. Uh, Confirmation Saints Feast Day, I'll tell them. I'm like, hey, it's your day. Happy St. Tarsissus Day or happy St. you know, whatever day. And you know, if I can remember, I'll do a little something special for the kid. Maybe have a special dessert or something like that for them. Um, one website that I really like is catholicculture.org. Um, they, have, they have Catholic news and opinion and all that stuff. And to be honest with you, I actually don't even use that section of the site. So I don't know if it's good or not but the section of the site that I do use is their liturgical calendar because they have a little bio of the saint of the day. And then at the end, they have links to all kinds of cool cultural traditions that go along with that saint. And you can learn some interesting things, including things you can do with your family. So one thing that I've learned, for example, is that in a lot of parts of Europe, March 25th, does anyone know what March 25th is? Right, it's nine months before Christmas. It's the Feast of the Annunciation. But in a lot of European countries, you know what they call it? Waffle Day. Waffle Day. Because in Sweden, Our Lady's Day, which is what they, they call it, it's Our Lady's Day. In Sweden, that's, I don't speak Swedish, Varfrudagen, which sounds really close to waffledagen, which means Waffle Day. So so in Sweden they have a tradition of eating waffles on March 25th and that spread to several other European countries. So guess what we have for breakfast in my house on March 25th? We have waffles, right? And guess who gets a lecture about why we call it Waffle Day on March 25th? My kids. That's what Dad tells them every March 25th. This is why we're having waffles today. But it's a special treat for them. I'm not talking about those frozen Eggo waffles. Like, I make Belgian waffles from scratch. Um, And, in fact, breakfast time is, in my house, a time when we... It's one of the times when the family's all together. And you know I haven't gone to work yet, and so I'll take my take an opportunity then at breakfast to tell the kids, hey kids, do you know what today is? Today is the feast of the beheading of Saint John the Baptist, right? How many saints have a feast day for their beheading? You know, kids love that stuff. Any gory story about a saint? Oh man, the kids love it, right? Or, hey, kids, today's Laetare Sunday. Do you know what color Father's going to be wearing today? Right? And if you've got a six year old girl, she loves that. She'll go upstairs and she'll put her pink dress on, right? Because she wants to match Father. Um, so, just anything like that that's kind of interesting or different that comes up on the church's calendar, talk about it with your family, especially if you have kids. You know, hey, here's an interesting tradition. And uh, I don't know, it just makes the, your family mindful of this continuity between home life and church life, right? There's a connection there. That The things we celebrate in church, we are also celebrating in our home. And, uh, and the last thing that I have is just, and the most important thing that we can do to make our homes into true domestic churches is just be faithful people of prayer. Because as I said, what what makes our homes into the Lord's house is if the Lord lives there. And if the Lord lives there, it's only going to happen if he's living there in us. And so... You know, at Mass, when we're praying before communion, the centurion's prayer, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Right? The house whose roof we're talking about is ourselves. We're not talking about the house that we live in, necessarily. We're talking about ourselves, the roof of our bodies. And we're praying that the Lord would make us worthy dwelling places for his spirit. And you know what? God loves that prayer. Because there's nothing God wants more than to dwell within us. And every time we pray that prayer, we're inviting God in. And, and so that's the key to really making our homes and making our families into domestic churches, right? It is living our baptismal call faithfully. So we should strive to make the environment of our homes places that help us to do that well and keep us mindful of our mission. So we've got like 15 minutes, and I'd like to hear ideas of things you've done, or maybe ideas that you've seen of of ways that we can can help make our home environments places that are going to be conducive of that, to conducive as living as a Christian disciple, whether you live by yourself, or live with a family, or have kids, or don't have kids, any ideas people have that you want to share?